everyone. My name is Andrew Warner, and uh, I do two podcasts. This interview is going to go on both of them. I am, as many of you know, the founder of Mixergy, where I interview ambitious entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. I also created a podcast with Origami. Origami helps create DAOs. And this interview is going to touch on a topic that fits with both those worlds. Joining me is Jiho Zerlin. He is the co-creator of Axie Infinity and the company behind it, Sky Mavis. Axie Infinity is one of the few hit games within crypto, and its mechanics make it interesting. The fact that it achieved a big player uh, ecosystem makes it interesting. The fact that many people have actually basically made a living by playing Axie Infinity is interesting. And also they've had some setbacks and I want to understand through them what's going on in the industry and through them what works and through them where we could possibly go. And uh, Jiho, I intentionally didn't describe the game because so many people have different ways of doing it. And I'd like to hear how you would describe the game yourself. We created this game to introduce the world to something that's a bit scary and that's new through something that's nostalgic and brings back memories of childhood, right? So Axie is a Web3 powered game. On the surface, it looks a lot similar to the games that we grew up playing, right? Pokemon, Tamagotchi, there are these cute potato-shaped creatures that you can battle, you can collect. Um, you can use your time and effort and skill to actually upgrade what they look like. Axie is powered by the Ronin Network, which is an EVM sidechain. We've been working on this since 2018. Many of us in the initial community, on the initial founding team, were CryptoKitty community members that fell in love with the idea of NFTs because we're like, hey, this is digital ownership, digital property rights. And many of us were gamers that thought that gaming could go into a more interesting direction by leveraging this technology. Thanks for having me, Andrew. What you noticed with CryptoKitties was that people were buying digital goods, digital creatures, and then selling them often for more. And is that the part that made you say, I think this is the beginning of something that could be more interesting than just mm. baseball card collectibles. It could go into a different medium and maybe Pokemon was an inspiration. I was someone who grew up playing Diablo, World of Warcraft, yeah. Neopets, and I was interested in these kind of gray markets that were forming around these digital economies. I was selling my Diablo items for real money, selling my Neopets items for real money, uh, World of Warcraft, leveling up accounts and selling them. But I was always faced with right, a lot of friction around the payment, right? How do you do this type of a digital transaction over a game item with someone or through the internet in a trustless way? And it was always really difficult. Sometimes it involved actually even putting myself in danger and meeting the, the person in public, right? You, you created cash. a World of, of Warcraft account and you sold it and you didn't want the buyer to reverse charges. Yeah, yeah. So you went exactly. and sold the username and password in person. Yeah, yeah. There are millions of gamers who do this kind of stuff and uh, put themselves almost in danger or just experience a lot of friction around these types of markets. So, um, yeah, I was always like kind of an entrepreneurial kid. So I was selling shark's teeth, uh, uh, selling, uh, you know, whatever I could get my hands on as a kid. And game items were something that I could do. Um, so, yeah, like I, I, you know, I was early to World of Warcraft. I started playing when I was 12. So in 2003. So I guess, you know, I'm, right. I'm born in 91. And, uh, and yeah, in the early days, right, there was a lot of demand for items within the WoW universe and for accounts. How did the idea coalesce into an actual product? I discovered Axie as a community member. I really love the art. 
and I sensed that there was a strong community coalescing around this project. It was also like like back in 2018, mm -hmm. you also had similar flavors of what you have now, right? Where there are people looking for the next thing, right? Back then, it was like looking for the next CryptoKitties, just like people, you know, looked for the next Axie. Um, so I found it as a community member and thought the art had a lot of potential and that if the t and the team's vision for an NFT that could be upgraded over time through play and effort, I thought that was compelling. And I thought that, hey, an NFT that you could actually use in a game, that sounds a lot more compelling than an NFT that you could just look at. It coalesced as, <laughs> as a product, like step by step. <laughs> the first thing was, oh, we can finally see our axes and wow. So Axie was the first, I think, NFT reveal. Um, that was also by necessity because uh, in the beginning, the art and the mixer uh, wasn't ready, but we, the team wanted to launch the sale. This is before you were part of the team. They said they wanted to offer NFTs. The mixer is... The mixer basically looks at the genetic data uh, on the chain and then spits out an image based on the genes, uh -huh. right? Before there was a design, what were people interacting with? So people were interacting with a smart contract to get a token that had genes in it. You couldn't actually see what the axes actually looked like. So someone actually sent me to, hey, check out this project called Axie Infinity. Looks cool. And I was like, okay, the art on the landing page looks good. But it was like, okay, am I ever going to actually see this thing that you guys are buying? Um, so I actually didn't join the project until you could see your axes. And then I was like mind blown because they moved, right? It was like animated and that's still rare. I think all like PFPs are kind of generally like just static JPEGs now. Uh, okay. but the thing that jumped out to me was axes actually moved, right? And that there was this vision for building out a gaming universe or at least the initial game. You're a guy who was selling shark teeth, as you said earlier, you've got business on your mind as much as you've got gaming and art. What was the business model that you saw that made sense? This was 2018, and I had just graduated from college in 2015, and everyone I knew was making a scooter startup in 2018. I was like, this is definitely not the way. Inspired by books like Zero to One, it was like, hey, this looks like a new market. This looks like it's very niche, uh, but there is a path towards this going from a very niche market just for hobbyists and uh, mm -hmm. futurists to something that could impact almost every consumer brand and experience uh, on the planet. It was still very speculative, but it seemed like better than the alternative, uh, which was like being an entrepreneur and starting a scooter startup. That literally was just like, I don't want to start a scooter startup, so I'm going to do something in NFTs um, and I'm going to try to become a founder in this space somehow. At the time, was the company going to get a share of every sale of the NFTs? Is that where you thought the business was going to be? Yeah, the creator royalty model, it's like 4.25%. That was actually in the CryptoKitty smart contract. So it was like, okay, that, you know, that kind of worked. So we'll go, uh, you know, th that was the creator fee um, initially. And then actually I was, as a CryptoKitty community member, I was like quite upset. I was like, where does that 4.25% go? Like, why can't that be used to help the community? We're like co-owners of the game. Why is that 4.25% only going to Dapper Labs, right? When, you know, this seems like it's our project as well. So that's some of the inspiration for putting that in a treasury uh, that could be in the future potentially used for different things related to the project. 2018, were you part of the organization at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I joined I joined around March, uh, March of 2018. And the okay. first battles launched in September, around September, October of uh -huh. 2018. Um, so we were like really focused on getting something to market, right? Getting something playable to start getting feedback. We didn't want like 
to just be a NFT that you looked at and uh-huh. could breed and nothing else, right? Like we saw that, you know, we thought that that was one of the big issues with prior projects um, and what we saw with the space. We wanted to, you know, just like now, almost every NFT project is in every profile picture project is looking at gaming as a way to, um, you know, go to the next level. We felt like that back in 2018. It was like, okay, we can't just be this thing that you look at. Uh, we need to uh, create a, create more of an interactive experience around these uh, collectibles. And the basic experience was? We're now on the third iteration of the battle system, right? But the first iteration of the battle system was like an auto battle system. So you get three axes, you put them on a team, you set their formation, choose the order in which they use their abilities and then you send them off to battle you get then get matched um with another team of axes they play it out and then you can actually watch the result of the battle that's how it worked back in 2018 and we initially tried to actually even run the battle system entirely on chain and we we did a test of that on ropstein or whatever it was yeah i think like ropstein Mm-hmm. Um, the Ethereum testnet, the community didn't like it. Uh, they didn't want to submit a transaction for every battle. So then we changed it so that our server was actually doing the computation of the battle. Even when we ran it on testnet, they didn't like it because it just seemed like unnecessary. So then how do you make the leap from being somebody who's in the community to being somebody who's creating the community and creating the whole experience? It was just step by step, right? In the beginning, it was like, hey, like, you know, we have this white paper, um, we may need it to be kind of rewritten and reformatted and you know, upgraded in terms of the English because it was like written kind of like Vietnamese English. Um, because the well. founders are uh, Vietnamese. Yeah. So uh-huh. I did that. And, you know, I think that was a good experience for everybody involved. And I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and yeah, and then it was like, you know, helping out with the community, helping with the announcements, talking to the community, keeping them engaged. Um, and things really, I guess, like, you know, started to escalate uh, from there. I remember going to San Francisco in 2018. I think it was like for GDC, but I didn't even know what GDC was back then. It was just, I got invited to a conference somehow on behalf of Axie, and I went, um, you know, participated in some pitch competition, which we won. We um, and then I think like after that, um, Trung, who's the CEO or you know original uh, mm-hmm. co-founder. Uh, invited me to Vietnam and yeah you know two months later I had given up my given my dog to my parents like broke up with my (laughs) girlfriend um, and just moved to Vietnam all my friends thought that I was crazy except for some who were like hardcore gamers who had played like games like Minecraft and thought hey something like this might really work yeah I kind of get the feeling that people saw you go to Yale and then afterwards expected so much and then you go and you're working on digital Pokemon and I'm sure that people were were freaked out by it. Your parents, how did they handle it? I think they were very worried. Um, I thought <laughs> I thought I think they thought that I was you know in danger, um, yeah. both physically and uh, mentally. How much revenue was there for the business at that point? Like, how much of a business was the business? I think. Well, I think like uh, we you know we raised around 600 ETH in the in the initial mint um, mm-hmm. of the Genesis collection, the Origin axes. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it was around 600 ETH, but then we held, you know, we held that in ETH. So then by the end of 2018, it ended up we only had like 20 or 30 thousand dollars. That's a pretty good sale 
you say you raise, but that's essentially revenue. That's profits that you made for the business to allow you to fund yourselves, to keep yourselves going, right? Yeah, I, I guess so, right? It's like yeah. I guess similar to how like NFT mints uh, work these days. But yeah, like we kept it, we kept it in ETH. So you know, <laughs> by the end of and the year, I think ETH was ETH, ETH was a hundred dollars, right? So were you always thinking I'm going to be a part of this so that eventually I can be a part of the team that builds it? I don't think I think like that. I think I was like, okay, this is an amazing project that I want to help succeed. And I just every day would wake up and do the thing that I felt like need, you know, would help the project succeed uh, at that day, right? Like, I'm, I just kind of like wake up, like, what is the one thing? What is the one thing to do to help this project uh, today? And I think the special thing about Axie, about Ronin, about the products that we build is that there are like, you know, thousands of people all across the world you know, not all of them working at Sky Mavis that, that think in that same manner. What was your contribution? You're listed as uh, head of growth or growth lead. What specifically did you do? I think it was a lot, uh, you know, communication with the community, creating structures to, to roll out information, uh, launch strategy, writing. I think like, you know, for the first couple of years, I basically read, wrote everything um, mm -hmm. that we, we kind of put out. Um, you know, d doing some product stuff like designing breeding events and giving feedback on the battle system. Uh, I did some game design and balancing, uh, especially in the early days. Um, yeah, uh, you know, did some of the, the tokenomics uh, design alongside uh, Delphi Digital for the Axis token. Um, Can you walk me through one of those, yeah. maybe the game balancing? I want to understand how you think and what you create. Yeah, so, well, with the game balancing back in the day, uh, we would look at, you know, what does the data say? What is, what is like, very, very popular? Like, so popular that it's, like, um, it's, like, maybe re reducing the genetic diversity of the population of axes and uh, is just, like, maybe overly pre prevalent. Um, so we look at the data on around, like, what was being used. If there were things that were, like, just way too prevalent, um, we would look at, you know, good ways to uh, balance that um, as well. And we would also like gradually uh, roll these changes out because if you change too many things at once, then it's like, you know, it's hard to know <laughs> uh, what the actual effect is because you have so many second order uh, things that are coming out. Um, we would talk very closely, you know, with the community as well. I think like one of the the community's favorite balancing exercises is when I said, hey, like this is the sheet that we use for balancing. Um, okay, you know, making it public, everyone submit your own versions of the sheet uh, under this hashtag. And then, yeah, there's like, I think we got 600 to 1,000 submissions. Then you can kind of see, like, you know, who actually put effort into it. Um, then you get it down to like 100, and then you can sift through those. It takes some time, of course. So. And then you use someone from the community's suggestion. You look the at them, right? Like, you look at them. Um, okay. And, and you can see, like, what makes sense um sometimes they sometimes people would you know they would they would think hey like <laughs> they're they they would slip in things that might benefit them along with a bunch of reasonable suggestions as well so you have to you can't just like look at it blindly you have to take it with right. a grain of salt because there are like actors that will try to like manipulate things for for themselves because they're holding on to some of these. Yeah, they might have like a gene pool, right, of this right. particular horn. And then they'll make a bunch of suggestions that seem really reasonable. But then it's like, oh, like, buff this horn. <laughs> because <laughs> and, and, and you, you could look at their account and you're like, wow, like this person has a lot of these. At what point did you see that people were starting to make a living by playing the game? I think around 2020, uh, summer, around the summer of 2020, 
and we started to see more more people botting uh the game so it was like oh like wow there's like you know people would only bot because there's like some potential for profit Mm -hmm. um and we started like you know trying to find bots and there was one time that we banned a a group of quote-unquote bots and then we got a message saying like sir this is my, me and my family. We're all playing Axie in the same house in the Philippines. Um, I was like, oh, like, that's an interesting story. Like, can you send, like, video evidence? Um, and then it was like, yeah, there's kind of, like, this very famous uh, video of, like, you know, an entire family of Filipinos, right? Like, aunts, grandpas, uh, children, um, and parents all, like, you know, showing that they're, they're Axie, uh, that they were playing Axie. And I thought that was, like, really uh, an important moment in the history of the space because it was, like, to yeah. me, the first time that I saw everyday people interacting with this technology, right? And that goes back to the original why, which is, like, why do we create this? It was, like, a nostalgic and interesting way to introduce uh, digital property rights to everyday people. Would you explain to me in basic terms how a family could earn a living playing Axie? it's best to think about this in first principles, right? It's like, when I got into the space, I was very angry, actually. It was like, how come I have to buy Ethereum, but, like, people who are nerds um, with who know how to, like, run mining rigs, why do they get Ethereum uh, just for swapping electricity? Uh, so I was like, if we actually want everyday people to be turned off by the space, like, why can't we create systems where it makes sense for them to be able to earn cryptocurrency uh, as well, right? Okay, if the miners are contributing their technical expertise to secure mm-hmm. the network, what are things that anyone could provide to help secure a network um, and that they could earn some sort of a token for, right? So it's like, okay, for a game, well, it's like if the game has no players, then the game will die. So it's like, okay, we can look at the to- the token issuance uh, for in-game resources as a, a sort of a initial bootstrapping security budget, just like we look at Ethereum's uh, protocol issuance as a, as a sort of security a, a security budget for the protocol. And then it's like if you read books like Andrew, Star- Andrew Chen's Cold Start Problem, right? It's like, yeah, it makes sense to right, pay some users, especially in the beginning when you're trying to build up a network effect, right? Just like a lot of my friends, right, like that weren't starting scooter startups, you know, I had worked at Uber. Um, and I was like, oh, like, right, like Uber in the early days, I was most fascinated by the fact that they paid drivers to drive even when there were no uh, ride or when there were no riders, right? So it's like when there are no, a game needs players to be fun. Right. So how do you get it to that stage where there is enough people playing to make it fun? Right. Just like right, uh, chess. So they... Yeah. Chess is only fun if you're if there is a lot if you're able to play against someone with your at your skill level yeah. for a digital game where you have this queue and a matchmaking system. The more people in the queue at a time, the, the better data the matchmaking system has to make a match. Right. And the and then the better the game can be. Right. So, so games actually. Right, it's like fun is almost subjective, but the level of flow state that you can be in uh, can be very variable, even with the same product, depending on how many people are in the uh, system. So they're getting tokens for playing the game, and they could convert those tokens into local currency that they could take to their grocery store. Yeah, so it's and- dependent on there being people who want to buy the tokens, right? So it's like you know why why do people buy tokens in the Axie universe, right? One. Uh, is, you know, you can use them to breed axes, you can in the future use them to upgrade the axes, upgrade their aesthetic experiences. Um, you can, obviously, there's there's a speculative element as well. Um, and then, yeah, like we have 
uh, the Axis Governance token, which we also give out to skilled players on the on the leaderboard. Right? And it's like Axis, we see that as right, like a portion um, of the, of the ecosystem, right? Like a sharded piece of the universe that uh, anyone um, can own, right? So it's like that's kind of one of the things that makes Axie different. Is this is a game like built. Uh, built alongside the community and the community can also uh, own alongside the creators. You then ended up with, I think last year, 2022, 3 million users at your peak, right? What was the stat for how big it got in 2022? In 2021, there are around like 2.5 million uh, daily active users, right? And there are still over 2 million people who own axes or unique addresses owning axes to this day. What I saw was that there was a decline, like active players went from 3 million at its height to about 400,000 active users in the last 30 days. I would actually say it's like around 200,000 monthly active users. So, um, okay. I'm, I'm so even less than I've got. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so, you know, in before the last bull market, we had around 10,000 players, I would say. Um, I mean, in 2018 and 2019, there were around 300 people in the community, right? So it's like in, in crypto, like whether we like it or not, there is a cyclical growth cycle. Um, and it's often like, right, like you see a lot of activity spiking up and a lot of interest from the outside world during the bull markets. And then, you know, you have a... A contraction period where users, where capital, where everything uh, really declines. The reason that it affects you is that, actually, why? Why does it affect you? Yeah, I think it's like, right, it's like, we do best when people are interested in learning about this new technology. And it's like, people aren't as interested in learning about crypto uh, during uh, during bear markets. I think that's one way to look at it. Um, mm -hmm. I think like during bull markets, uh, people in the ecosystem are more eager to introduce their friends, their family, uh, to, uh, yeah, to, to, to blockchain and, and crypto as a whole. So, and... yeah, I remember talking to early members of Bankless DAO. This is an organization that's all about teaching people how to go bankless by using crypto. Many of them got into the DAO, not because they were excited about these DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, but because they were interested in crypto. And they didn't want to take their money and convert it into crypto. They just want to learn and earn and be a part of it. And so a DAO was a good way for them to come in because a DAO has a community, a DAO has its token, and it was an on, it was an entrance into, into that world. And you're saying the same thing here. And I think when you and I have talked before, we talked about how many people's first real financial system was your wallet, the wallet that you created, right? 25% of people in our community do not have a bank account, right? And uh, so we see this as a way to introduce them, not just to Web3, but, you know, to, yeah, having a digital way of saving that's not, you know, storing money under your mattress. So, Gio, let's talk about how do you deal with this? How do you decouple your fate from the fate of this crypto industry? What do you think? It's it's really difficult, but you know one of the ways to think about it is you can look at like traditional game economies that have real world trading, mm -hmm. and one of the things that they have is a lot of emotion and a lot of emotional spending. So, for example, Eve Online has a uh, real money economy, um, that's been running for twenty years, and 
you know what so basically so there are people right the economy is really uh the economy is driven forward by the fact that people are spending resources and buying resources to build up ships and then they actually use those ships in battles real battles where the ships can actually get destroyed why so why do people fight in these wars if you know they may lose their ships and lose money well it's because right like uh there's a lot of emotion right they're angry <laughs> they, they they have these there's tension right um so i think like there has to be a lot of emotional spending and cons mm -hmm. actual consumer demand within these digital economies um and that will i think like that will level off a, a lot of the you know the cyclical ups and downs but even then there will still i there will it's more it's it's still like a emerging market economy right so it's mm -hmm. i still see it as like you know uh crypto is an emerging economy where capital flows in and then it flows out um on these almost like regular intervals and that that's actually you know that's how emerging market uh nations uh work in the in the early days so as we become a developed economy and are less right it's like so I, you know i don't know in macro in macroeconomics terms right or economic mm -hmm. terms it's like if we're less reliant on foreign direct investment um and uh and speculation and more uh, reliant on consumer spending um and that just happens as these digital economies mature and but there has so to be consumers right and it's like uh, very few people in crypto see themselves as a consumer um everyone right is like a speculator or right uh uh -huh. it, it it's like it's very hard to find the consumer uh in crypto um but we, you know we've we're experimenting with a lot of uh things that get us towards that direction for example like in the axie universe you can buy accessories right? and it's like the accessories don't make your axes more powerful or anything like that they just make your axie cooler um and you can you know basically spend to improve the aesthetics of your axie right that's more like closer to consumer demand you might still be like speculating on the rarity of that particular accessory for example but it's like it's a little at least a little bit closer to true consumer demand and so if i'm understanding you right you're saying we need the game and the mechanics and the products people can buy to be so compelling that people just want to spend and participate in the game and we're always have some connection to the outside economy. So if the US economy goes down and people don't have as much money, they're just not going to spend on a lot of things, including bread and eggs, they're going to cut back, and they're going to cut back on digital experiences. But if we can make the game so compelling and give people things to spend, uh, to spend on that they want to do it, then we're going to see ourselves a little bit less reliant on what's going on in the overall economies of crypto and and the countries that people are in. Is that right? That's the hypothesis. So that comes back to then the fun of game playing. I would take it from the very beginning then. I I heard a podcast with Balaji where right after he made his million dollar bet that Coin was going to hit a million dollars, he went on the Moment of Zen podcast and he made his case for it. And he said, look, people are not going to want to keep money in banks. They're going to want to keep money in Bitcoin. And then Dan Romero the founder of Farcaster previously with Coinbase says, look, it is still too hard for people to get onboarded into Bitcoin. It's still too hard for them to have all these experiences that they need in order to buy and to hold. I wonder then, 
how much user experience work are you doing on onboarding people into Axie, into this experience? Mm. It's really important to improve the user experience over time. And we put a lot of effort into improving the wallet onboarding. For example, you can create a Ronin wallet now with just a, uh, a Gmail account or email or your Twitter. Uh, so we have social login, right? So we're definitely, right, there has to be UX improvement. And, you know, I totally expect that to get better uh, exponentially over time. And there's definitely been a lot of progress since 2018. And I'll also say, you know, maybe this is, I'm not sure what Balaji said, uh, <laughs> uh, but this is what I imagine he would say is that p crypto adoption will come about also due to the necessity of it, right? And it's like, if if you're if you really feel like your bank account is an unsafe place uh, or realize that your bank account is an unsafe place to put to hold money you're gonna go through you're gonna jump through the hoops uh to do it and that's what we saw right with axie where you know when, when there was like a real interesting use case around it in 2021 right people were figuring out how to do it um people were uh learning they were excited to learn Right, because the benefit, the perceived benefit was high enough, right? So, you know, I don't think that if we just made Bitcoin and crypto super easy to use right now, uh, people would just start doing it uh, because people still trust traditional finance. Uh, they still trust the government. And actually, like to me, right at its core, Web3 and crypto is an inverse bet on the confidence rating of traditional finance and of traditional legacy uh, government institutions. So you're saying we're going to get more players, more participation in this and in crypto in general when the economies of the world go off the rails. And so you're making a bet that things will stink in the world for you to do well. It, but just because those just because traditional right, like I guess that's maybe an ideological thing, right? It's like the people think that if the traditional financial system unravels and traditional government unravels over time, that would be bad. Right. That, but that's still like a hypothesis. Um, right. It's like it, it, I think like what we're seeing with DAOs and what we're seeing with uh, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, these are alternatives. These are ways to opt out of those systems that until now have been perceived as necessary. I'm on your site and I've told you this before. It's it's even hard to figure out how to play. No insult. I'm in incredible admiration of what you've done. And I appreciate you being here to do this interview. So I'm not coming at this from a place of Aha, I got you. I'm coming at this from a place of, I really want to get you. I really want to understand. I'm, when I go to axiinfinity.com and I hit play now, I get jumped automatically to, to part number four, which says download and play. And I don't know which of these I'm supposed to get. For example, right, there's still, it's, it would be really easy to just be able to download on your iPhone and start playing, right? Uh, but there are, you know, there are monopolies uh, that uh, are still enforce, enforcing anti-Web3 policies, um, you know, such as Apple, um, that are basically uh, preventing um, these types of user experiences. That said, you know, we, uh, they will be forced uh, to adapt and to embrace this technology over time. That's our hypothesis. And it's also right, like as more good projects are released, um, there will be a, a larger benefit for them you know, adopting uh, and, and letting these types of applications on their store. It's also, right, that's also a thing too with, uh, you know, even Epic Games is having this issue right now 
with Apple where, you know, Epic, you know, Epic Games products are not allowed or are not being listed on, uh, on iOS as well. So this is not uh, really, I guess, limited to, to crypto. Okay, I get it. Where do you see this going beyond Axie? Like what can other games learn from your company, Sky Mavis, that's worked for you that could take us into the future of, of games? We believe in working really closely with the community, treating them as peers, as equals, giving them ownership in the uh, products that they're actually using on a daily basis and, and seeing them and working with them as our main distribution channel, right? So 60 to 70% of our players uh, have been onboarded by friends and family members. And I think that's actually really important these days because of the new uh, app store policies uh, where you basically cannot target gamers based on uh, their data, uh, right? It's, very, it's much it's much harder uh, to target users for applications, um, right? Like being able to h harness and leverage your community as a primary distribution channel. Uh, I think I think that's uh, that's something that we're seeing with Axie that I think is becoming more of a trend uh, in gaming as well. And with with Axie, like. One of the things that we're really excited about is okay, and this is also perhaps to your confusion is if you if you own Ax an Axie, you can actually play six games right now, right? Uh, so with one Axie, you get access to six games. I think that could be like overwhelming, um, right? It's like which of these games should I play? Um, uh, but we see that as right. It's like imagine if a game asset could function as this key to infinite experiences. Um, we see that as a huge shift, right? Where uh, from the traditional model where it's like you might download one application and, and, your, and your asset and your game assets are kind of limited or boxed into single experiences. Ah, oh, and, and that asset could be used with other games that you're not making yourselves necessarily. That, that, you know, that's possible as well. We're less bullish on that because, you know, if... We've 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 uh, done that, but we always see it as an attack. Um, to be honest, so uh, for example, if we say, "Hey, like you have CryptoKitties, we're gonna give your CryptoKitty utility by uh, allowing you to swap it for an Axie," right? That's what we did uh -huh. in the early days. Like, oh, like uh -huh. don't don't even give us the cat. We're just gonna give you an Axie because you're you own a CryptoKitty. Oh, you own Decentraland land. We're gonna give you axes, right? But really, that was just a UA strategy where we're trying to take them out of the community. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 um, and. Did it work at least? Yeah, so that, the, 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 I think that was the first ever UA model in blockchain gaming. We were able to be able to do that because we had a bunch of axes uh, that were one or two dollars at the time, even 20 cents maybe. If we can give out 100 axes and get 30 players, right? It's like you can almost do like LTV um, and uh, CPIs. So. so do you imagine that in the future, other games will be the same way that they're going to give people their characters and allow them to play those same characters in multiple dif multiple games and as a result, allow them to level up and so on? That's what we intend on doing with Axie. We were the first to facilitate earning an ERC-20 token with an ERC-721. I see a couple of like next innovations that we're bringing to the table. One is like, yeah, one... NFT asset, infinite experiences, which you can see at app.axieinfinity.com slash games, right? With all of the uh, new experiences in the Axie universe that are starting to develop. And then two is like, oh, upgradable dynamic NFTs where you put your time, your effort, your skill uh, into playing these different games, getting 
uh, different resources that you then use to upgrade your NFT, right? So in essence, like when you can look at someone's NFT and learn what they've done rather than just like learning how rich they are. I want to close it out by asking a little bit about the DAO. What's your vision? Well, we see Axie as a game that provides more ownership than traditional gaming ecosystems, right? So that applies to the assets themselves, the game the game assets, but also to the game itself, right? Where you have this uh, access governance token, which, right, is uh, basically a governance token that in the future, as we decentralize uh, the network, we'll be able to have control over uh, the community treasury, right, which is a pool of tokens, which is accumulated um, over the last few years, um, based on right, like the, mar the marketplace fee, the breeding fee, right, these are all uh, funds that have been untouched and just kept in a, a treasury um, that, you know, the, it's kind of up to the community and up, us up to Sky Mavis to shepherd uh, the entire ecosystem towards a place where that treasury can be unlocked and used for different initiatives, whether that be, you know, used for growth or used to fund different games or, you know, uh, used to supplement access staking rewards. It's, it's really, you know, it's, 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 I can't really say a hundred percent because, you know, it is something that we're pushing forward alongside the community. How much is in the treasury now? So there's around 22 million access tokens in there. Worth how much? I think like around 150 million. And you're operating using the, what did you get? You raised $152 million from Andreessen Horowitz at a $3 billion valuation is what I saw. Yeah, so uh, Sky Mavis funds itself, or, you know, has funded itself from venture capital funding. The vision is eventually bring in the community more into the governance process. Let them help decide where this game goes, how this, how this organization runs, and give them control of this treasury that's been accumulating off of the gameplay. We're actually running um, some experiments around governance right now. So we have season one of the contributor program where, you know, eight, uh, 800 contributors have identified themselves as people that are, hey, I'm interested in, I, I see myself as a contributor to the project and I'm interested in helping to shape the path towards uh, more of a decentralized uh, governance process. Um, so we're running season zero um, of that right now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, recommend people to check it out. Um, and yeah, like I think it's, it's still very, very, very early. And I think like we want to be slow, right? If it was meant to be fast, then it's like, oh, Sky Mavis could just, you know, maybe do it ourselves. Uh, but it's meant to, I think, be like very slow and methodical. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th I think like that's maybe in a characteristic of DAO governance, right? Is that it, it takes a while, right? And sometimes it can be agonizingly slow, right? Sometimes the community is like, we want, we want more direction, right? Like, we don't want to do this to ourselves, right? Like, why are you, why are you kind of like removing yourself from the process, right? We need you to like help lead us. Mm -hmm. And then, we're, yeah. and then it's like, no, like this is part, you know, part of this is you maturing and being able to make significant decisions um, almost autonomously, right? Like <laughs> an autonomous organization. So. That is a good point. What I'm understanding you saying is, Look, we created this game. We created this community. We think it's great, but we can't come up with all the ideas that are going to supercharge this. We want the community to do it. But if we just say, hey, everyone, you now have tokens. You now have governance. Go take it over and do better than we can. Come on, it's your job. If you do that, there's going to be chaos. You're shaking your head at how because that's a ridiculous statement. And so instead of just handing it over to them, 
you're going to take some time and let them learn how to lead. See what it is that they can contribute and how you can guide them and give them the power to do it and and also give yourselves the the time to transition to them. But the vision eventually is bring them in more, have them have more of a say, have them have more control over this thing that they are helping to build by playing it. And that many times they know more about it because they're immersed in it. You have to, it, it's like a transition, right? And so we've written some articles like, right, the community treasury and progressive decentralization, you know, might be even outdated now, but those were kind of our thoughts at the time where it's like, we have steps, we have phases where, you know, in the beginning, like Sky Mavis is the ship captain, right? And we're kind of setting the direction of the boat, but over time, Right. It's like we want to be one of many organizations that are uh, defining the direction of the Axie protocol. Right. I, I see Axie as a protocol yeah. with a living, breathing hive mind. It's an, almost an AI, but the AI, right, the community has this AI, all, you know, it needs to be trained. Right. All right. Thanks so much for being on here. We're doing this right before the weekend. How are you going to spend your weekend? What do you do for fun? I, I'd like to hang out with my wife, uh, which I don't really get okay. to do during the week too often. Uh, yeah, I like to go to cafes and read, uh, get some sun, uh, go to the gym. Uh, you know, it's, I call my parents, um, yeah, see friends. Like, I don't know. I'm pretty boring. Like, I, I like to read. I'm reading the uh, biography of Ulysses S. Grant right now. So I want to finish that this weekend. Thanks. Thanks for being on here. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing how you build this business. I feel like you're leading the way for other people. And I want to watch and see what's working for you, what you're learning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and learn from you. Thank you all for listening. Bye, everyone.